Hello and welcome to In the Den with Mama Dragons. I'm your host, Jen. This podcast was created to walk and talk with you through the journey of raising happy, healthy, and productive LGBTQ humans. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. It's pretty common for young people and teens to express the idea that their parents just don't understand. And this seems to be almost inevitable on topics where parents really do have a different lived experience and haven't gone through some of the things their kids are going through. I am convinced that any parent listening to this podcast intently wants to understand. Sometimes communication and big feelings can get in the way. So we asked queer youth directly and anonymously what they wish their parents understood. And we had dozens of really thoughtful and sometimes amusing responses a heartfelt thank you to all of the youth that took time to reply to us. Today, we've brought an interpreter to help us really understand what the kids are trying to tell us with the things that they're articulating here. So Cole Brennan is here with us today as our bridge builder and interpreter. So glad to be here. <laughs> Cole Brennan is a queer and transgender mental health therapist with LA Mental Health in the Denver area former bike mechanic and youth outdoor educator and lover of nature, adventures, and above all, people. Cole works primarily with LGBTQ plus identified youth and adults and has a passion for helping his clients find their innate love and joy for themselves, their many identities, and the world around them. Cole lives in Denver, Colorado with his partner, two young children, and two equally young pups. Good to be here. Thanks so much for having me back. Um, I want to note before we get started that several of the teens did indicate that their parents pretty much did understand and were doing a great job. So kudos to all those parents. It can be kind of hard sometimes to listen with curiosity and not get defensive. But that wasn't the majority of the responses we got. Some of the responses had similar energy to each other, though. So if you're listening and your child didn't respond, we all might still learn some things from the voices of our kids' peers. And I'm going to tweak some of the identifying information a bit just to protect any possible kids who did. I'll never change the content, though. All right, Cole, you ready for me? I'm ready. I'm going to start with this one because I hear the parent side of this very often. This is from a trans femme, non-binary 16-year-old. And they say, I am not the kid they knew when I was like six. Interpret for us. Yeah, this is a great one to start with because I think that this taps into a lot of the um, a lot of the journey that the parents of queer and trans uh, kids go through, which is that as parents, we all have these kinds of dreams or ideas about who our kids are going to be, uh, who they are. Um, what their identities might be, or maybe we don't even ever think about what their identities might be, um, because there's if you don't have an ex, you know ex experience of questioning your identity, then a lot of identities are just assumed, like gender. And so, for the parents of trans youth, uh, it can be really confusing to look at who their kid is saying that they are 
to in comparing that that to the kid that they have known since the child was born, right? So, for example, um, some some parents of trans youth will say things like, uh, "You know, my kid is saying that he is." trans but i he never seemed to be bothered by wearing dresses or doing more girly activities when he was a kid so is it really true that he is trans you know is that it can that be real um and i think that that's uh it can be confusing because we have these ideas of um what gender means and when we think that gender is tied to the interests that we have or the uh, clothing that we wear, then it can be really confusing when when we think about how, you know, if, if a person never said when they were four that they didn't want to wear dresses or that they did wear, want to wear dresses or something like that, that that says anything about their gender identity. But gender is so much more complex than that. It's more complex than interests. It's more complex than... Uh, attire, it's more complex than friendships. Uh, gender identity is really, it's a question of how we feel internally and who we feel we are in the context of the social environments that we live in. Um, and that can look like so many different things. So for example, you might have a trans kid who is saying, hey, you know, Parents, I am, I'm a boy, and I know that you thought that I was a girl, but I'm not. I'm a boy, and uh, and they still might want to wear dresses. They, you know, he still might want to uh, just do art or um, just, you know, have long hair or things that are more like traditionally feminine. But if he says, "I feel like a boy inside," then that's right for him. That's, you know, because there are so many different ways to do gender. And I think that that's, um, that can be a really confusing thing uh, when we don't have the experience of living as a trans person. There's not, I don't, I guess it's hard to, it's hard to explain quite how that's different because um, if you don't have the lived experience of saying, well, I don't feel like this gender that I was told that I am, um, the best way that I can describe it when I was coming out as trans uh, is that it felt like I was wearing someone else's outfit and trying to like go out in the world pretending that I was someone else. And, um, and it felt so uncomfortable because people weren't reacting to like uh, interacting with me in the way that felt like me. Uh, and it's hard to describe because it doesn't really, it doesn't make sense logically. It only makes sense as a lived experience. I don't know if that makes sense to describe it that way, but I think, you know, when, when kids are saying, I'm not the person that you thought that I am, what it goes back to is like, they're having a lived experience that might be hard to describe. It might be contrary to what you've experienced of them as a kid growing up. What your concepts are related to their uh, to a person's how how a person's gender is tied to their interests, their friendships, their um, uh, their style, any of those things. And ultimately, it goes back to this an internal feeling that 
can only be described through experience. I, I think back, I don't know why, but this makes me think back to when I was younger and I pretty much was a thousand percent convinced that I wanted a minimum of eight children. <laughs> I spent years, like probably a decade of my early years convinced that I wanted to be the mother of eight to 10. Um, and everyone believed it. It came up for me forever after. I did not want, when, when it came down to it, I did not want 10 children. <laughs> it would not have been safe or healthy for any of us for me to have 10 children. Uh, but for a long time, people would say to me, like, you've always wanted so many children. And I'm like, mm. Mm, when I was 12, like, mm. <laughs> like we've moved past that. And I, so when I, when I read this kid's question, I felt that like frustration of like, I get to grow up, I get to evolve, yeah. I get to discover myself and find myself and you don't get to pigeon hold me back in my first grade. Cause I was probably yeah. very emphatic yeah. about it. <laughs> at the time. Um, anyway, that's what triggered in my head. Um, yeah. But I'm going to move to the next one. Are you ready? All right. This one is from a 16 year old okay. trans mask teen. And he said, um, I wish they understood that this is not a fad and it is not a phase. Yeah. I hear this one a lot. Um, you know, I think that it's there's a natural concern for parents uh, to want to jump in to want to want to support their kids who are saying something that is potentially scary, uh, definitely life changing, um, and it's it can feel scary to want to get behind their kid and support them. And in reality, when 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 we think about what the most important thing is, is that, well, first of all, the, the rates of, uh, regardless of the studies that are kind of going all around the, um, the medias right now, uh, there's a lot of studies that are being cited right now that are uh, spreading a lot of really, really harmful misinformation about uh, kids identifying as trans and then later not identifying as trans those studies are not um accurate check your sources if you're reading those things please please check your sources um because even reputable uh newspapers like the new york times are publishing articles that are full of misinformation um and it's causing a lot of harm and it's causing a lot of parents to say to question their kids and to and to say I read this thing about kids, you know, later changing their minds. And in reality, very few do. If you're hearing your kids say, I identify as trans, then believe them. The most important thing is that your kid knows that they have your support. When it comes down to it, even if they were to be one of the very, very few people who uh, do later discover through their own journey of self-identity exploration that they don't identify as trans any longer, which, you know, I think the, the rates of, uh, of that are realistically between 0.5 to 3% uh, of people who identify as trans later change their mind about it. Um, if your kid happens to be one of those, that very small percentage, then they still need to know that you've got their back. They still need to know that you believe what they say and that you take their experience as real. 
if they say I'm trans, then they want to hear you say, cool, I've got your back. Let's figure out how we're going to, how we're going to help you get through whatever that comes next. Uh, because ultimately that's going to strengthen your relationship with your kid as opposed to, um, you know, the worry, expressing the worries, of course, it's natural, right? You know, we, we worry about our kids, of course. But, you know, if we, if we let those worries come through in the way that we express our, our, or question our support for our kids, they feel that questioning of support. And it's going to make them a lot less likely to come to you as, uh, as, as a safe person to talk through this journey with. Um, so, the reality is it's most likely not a fad. If they're saying that it's real, just take that at face value. It's real for them very much so. Uh, this makes me think of any time that we discount <clears throat> each other's feelings, right? Like if I said to you, oh, I am so sad. And you were like, you're not sad. <laughs> it was your birthday yesterday. You were at a great party. And obviously you're, you know, I, I would probably not tell you anything right. after that yeah, about exactly. how I felt. But yeah, feel so dismissed. Yeah. But this is a big thing. By the time kids tell, they yeah, usually for a long time. A demi boy, yeah. So a demi boy who is sixteen years old said, "Just from the mental standpoint, my dad always calls me lazy because I have no motivation to go outside. But that is only because everyone is either calling me the wrong gender or they're just rude to me about my pronouns." I can feel the dad being like, go outside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we, you know, when I think back about like, okay, parent, parent intentions, right. We want our kids to grow up to be um, self-supporting and ability to like go on and have happy, fulfilling lives in which they uh, take care of themselves and their um, environment. Uh, the the homes that they live in and all that, like doing their chores on their own, right? That's, I think, often the, the intention. When we call our kids lazy, uh, one, it's just going to make them feel shut down. Um, laziness is, even if, even if they're not following through on the uh, actions that we ask them to do, it's typically more about underlying emotions that are going on that might be prevent, preventing them from doing whatever it is. And that could be anxiety, that could be stress. So what I like to tell parents is get curious. Uh, you know, if your kid is not doing something that you're asking them to do, um, get curious and, and ask them, you know, what's going on that's making it hard for you to do this? Is there any barrier to you doing this? Uh, whether that is a chore or, um, homework or whatever it is, because if your kid is saying, you know, I just, if they're not doing homework for a specific class, for example, it could very well be that they have a teacher who doesn't support and uh, um, respect their identity. And uh, that's going to make it really hard for them to be motivated to do their homework for that specific class, because it's probably going to bring up a whole lot of feelings for them every single time they open up their book to do homework for that specific class. So there might be more going on uh, that's that's making it hard for them. And expressing care, expressing our support, um, 
expressing encouragement and problem solving with them, you know, they probably have some really good ideas as to, you know, what are, what could, what could help you overcome this barrier. They probably have some great ideas or at the very least would be open to engaging with you in conversation about it. Um, but uh, I think when we can check our, as parents, I think when we can check our assumptions about what's going on for our kids, then it strengthens our connection. When we can get curious and talk to our kids about it, that's when we have a better connection with our kids and, the, and greater, conne- greater connection with our kids is going to lead to better motivation uh, for them to follow through on the things that we hope that they will do. So <laughs> I'm not a kid, <laughs> but is there like a correlation between um, the idea of laziness and like, like for a general rule for parents, if all of a sudden your kid is lazy, uh, can we make some assumptions about depression or is that just kind of not presenting the same way for kids? Uh, I think it really depends. I, for some kids, it might, for sure. Uh, you know, it, depression's hard, right? Because depression kind of comes along with a whole lot of other symptoms that aren't just like doing the things that they usually do um, or doing the things that they are asked to do by parents. <laughs> I think, you know, it would be... Um, yeah, much too broad of a stroke to say that a kid is depressed um, if they're acting "quote unquote" lazy. Um, I think again, I'm going to go back to connection because if if there's if we can get curious and and try to just say, "Hey, you know what's going on that's making this hard for you uh, to do this," then that puts us in the position of a safe person, not someone. Not, not, I think oftentimes parents, especially parents of teens can get into this um, pattern of uh, being adversaries. And, um, and when parents and teens become each other's adversaries, then that's when the, uh, the resistance to doing the things that parents ask them to do increases. And so get on the same team, you and your kids, you're on the same team. Um, Your kid ultimately they want your support. They want your approval. They want your love and care. Uh, and they might not be expressing it in the best way possible, but they're teens. So, <laughs> uh, it's to be expected. Right. And that's okay. Uh, but depression. Yeah. I think like it's, it's definitely good to be, have an eye out for depression. Uh, but that would be kind of, that would go and go alongside, uh, some other indicators. Like if they're, acting really sad all the time, or if they have withdrawn from like friends, uh, or from the activities that they have loved doing before. Um, yeah, there might be some other, uh, factors involved. And if you are worried about your teen, uh, feeling depressed, you can ask them if they're feeling depressed and you can also suggest, you know, Hey, you're seeming low. Would you want to go just talk to a counselor just to see if, um, if that might be a helpful thing for you? Awesome. All right. You'll notice the next one, 16 again. That was our most, I'm guessing, a friend group. <laughs> I caught a hold of our survey because a chunk of 16-year-olds. But this 16-year-old boy shared, my parents are very understanding of me, and I'm super grateful for that. But I wish they understood why I have such strong emotions and anger toward the people who don't understand and the people who are rude about what I'm going through or who I am. Uh, yeah, I anger is an interesting one because I think that um 
different cultures have different a- approaches to anger. And when I say cultures, I mean like micro cultures, like, you know, each family can have their own micro culture. Right. And anger can be something that um, we think of as a destructive emotion. In reality, there's no such thing of as, as there is no such thing as a destructive emotion. Emotions are just feelings. Like they, they are neutral more or less. Anger can actually be a really positive motivating force. Without anger, we would never be, uh, there would never be motivation to change the injustices in the world. Uh, without anger, we wouldn't see someone being wronged and feel motivated to step in and support them. And one thing that I think is really awesome about teens is their ability to tap into this this type of anger. And, um, you know, they're, they're, the teenage years, you know, kids are just discovering their own identities and where they fit in the world and the broader social structures. And there's something that's really magical about this specific time of life where people are just trying to figure out how they fit in and how the systems work and where those systems get it wrong. And, uh, and so the anger, I actually think is a really powerfully positive uh, emotion that when channeled right, and this, and this is where anger is, is funny, right? Because we can certainly cause harm through our anger. We can speak and act through our anger in ways that cause harm to relationships. Um, but if we can help our, our kids to channel their anger in a positive direction, man, they can be unstoppable there. I mean, it is just amazing to watch kids, uh, tap into that anger and motivate them to write letters to elected officials or speak up on social media or stand up for kids who are being wronged. I mean, there's so many amazing things that, um, that anger can do, but if we're afraid of anger and if we, um, tell our kids, you know, well, don't be angry They're, you know, and try to dismiss it. Like, you know, well, they just don't understand and it's fine. Well, no, like be angry. If, if, if someone is doing something that's causing harm, help your kid to see that that anger can, can go in a positive direction and lead to positive change and that there's a right way to do it. That won't cause greater harm. Right. I think sometimes kids need, um, guidance from the adults in their lives to help them see, how they can tap into anger in a way that's positive and uh, and speak through that anger in a way that leads to greater social change for themselves and others around them. Um, before we leave this one, um, could you, maybe, I'm wording that badly, uh, can you provide maybe some insight about why these sorts of things are making kids mad? Because I think our generation, older people, um, we were only allowed to get mad if someone was being mean on purpose, right? Like it, it was all about intent for us. Like he didn't mean yeah. to be rude. Yeah, He's so old. Yeah. <laughs> we have to give him a pass. And you kind of touched on it, but like, why would this yeah. kid be mad about this stuff that's happening when maybe the parents are just like able to kind of water off a duck's back? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the ways in which, um, we haven't always been aware of how harmful things are. Uh, for example, um, yeah. So, for example, for a lot of uh, 
people who are white than, you know, realizing the harm that colorblindness does in this is, you know, here's a correlation, right? Because colorblindness is something that in my generation, I was taught, you know, people are just people and, uh, and we shouldn't pay attention to the color of their skin. And there's something that sure, like that's, you know, a lovely idea, but in practice, people experience significant racism throughout their life. And so the color of their skin very much matters because that shapes their experience. And if you are a white person who's never experienced racial injustice, then you might ha not have that lived experience of how poisonous that, uh, that mentality of color blindness can be because it erases the significance of the harm that that person has experienced throughout their life. We see the same thing in the LGBTQ community. Um, if you've ever heard the term uh, heterosexist, heterosexist is a concept that is um, uh, that everything is just naturally heterosexual unless uh, indicated otherwise. But that assumption completely erases the experience of people who don't identify as heterosexual. Um, when we make an assumption that uh, I am blanking on a good example of heterosexism right now. Um, but it kind of makes me think of when I say to myself, like, how would that make me feel? If I went to the grocery store and someone said, excuse me, sir, it wouldn't even hurt my feelings. <laughs> so why are you trying to make such a big deal out of it? But it is because that consistent lived experience that you're talking about is so different. Right. And right. And so using, I guess using that example, that's a good example, right? Because, um, for you, that's, that might not, you know, that might be kind of confusing as to why someone might say that, uh, or, you know, what, what they're seeing that's leading them to say, sir, or, you know, it, it would be easy to do is dismiss it as a mistake. Uh, but for someone who identifies as trans, especially right now, you know, we live in a time when being trans is a very, very politically charged issue. And so there's a lot of people who are intentionally saying harmful things, um, intentionally using the wrong pronouns, intentionally using the wrong names, intentionally misgendering people in all sorts of identifying ways. And it brings up a lot of fear for people who identify as trans or even as queer. I mean, there's, a, you know, even I think that the the big backlash about trans folks is is raising concerns that you know, are gay marriage rights next or um, is it actually safe for me to be out as a queer person? Uh, because it's it's not feeling safe right now. And when we don't feel safe, we're going to get angry when people do or say things even unintentionally that are uh, that bring up that fear. And so I think when we have to we have to think about how, you know, the intention, you know, yes, intentions matter. Of course they matter and impact really matters. Uh, and I think we can kind of dismiss how, um, like using the wrong pronouns, for example, uh, is like our intentions might be, yes, I wanna support my kid, but if we dismiss the impact that using the wrong pronouns or pronouns that are different than the ones that are, that, that another person uh, requests that we use for them, we then we dismiss the harm that they're feeling every single time they hear the wrong pronouns used for them, which is probably a lot uh, for most trans folks. Um, 
and the impact matters despite our best intentions. All right. Uh, we have a 14 year old who is gender fluid and bisexual. And at, when asked what they wish their parents understood, they said how hard it is being a queer teen in this generation. Yeah. Emphasis mine. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, this, this is a good one. I think this kind of speaks to um, what I was just talking about is that we, over the last few years, uh, queerness and especially transness has become such a politically charged issue that it can almost feel like as LGBTQIA folks, we are wearing targets on our back, um, which is really different than my experience, you know, growing up, like coming out as queer and trans in the late nineties, early two thousands, it was very different. I, you know, we, most of, you know, myself and my peers, we felt a lot of aloneness maybe in it or not even necessarily alone some of us yeah um but more just like we were so fringe that no one was thinking about us at all and uh so like trying to find for example books in the library you know about being queer or trans was near impossible there just weren't that many options because there hasn't been that much written about our experiences um it's different now right what's different now is not so much that we that people don't realize we exist so much as people do realize that we exist and they have really strong <laughs> opinions about it one way or another either they are strongly in support or they are strongly uh opposed to the concept of us. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's part of what's really hard right now is that, you know, and this, I, so I talked to a lot of my, um, my teen queer and trans clients about this is like, it can feel like every, every day, especially given, you know, different people's environments, it can feel like stepping out of the house or even stepping out of their bedroom is hostile. Uh, and you're, you're entering a hostile environment whenever you leave your safe place, or maybe there isn't even a safe place because people have ideas about who you are and they have strong opinions about what that means. And, uh, you know, when you have a large portion of the country saying, well, you don't even exist. Well, it's like, well, what do you mean? I don't exist. I'm right here in front of you. And you don't know what's going on inside of my mind and inside of my heart. And, uh, and so it can be, I think as, as trans people right now, and it's trans teens trying to, trying to understand who, not only trying to understand their own experience, but trying to understand the societal structures that we live in, the cultural systems that are at play and how they fit into it all of that can feel really overwhelming and it can feel really scary because uh, it's it's hard to find yourself and feel comfortable and confident in who you are when you're hearing from all around you uh, these really hostile perspectives about who you are, who you should be, what you should and should not be allowed to do. Uh, what you should and should not be allowed to do, not only just in terms of like sports uh, or bathrooms, but even with your own bodies, like not even being allowed, you know, being told that you shouldn't even do things to your own body that you feel like would really help you to feel a lot better. Uh, and people all around saying, well, that's wrong. And uh, that's, you know, model mutilation. Uh, 
is, yeah, it's hard. It's a, this is a hard time to be, and I don't think that there's any way around it. This is a really hard time to be, especially trans, but queer too. Yeah, I I can hear in my mind a generation of people saying, uh, "It's there's books all over the place, and you guys have clubs in your schools, and I don't know why you're so upset. It's actually cool yeah. to be gay. Why yeah. do we hear that all the time? It's cool yeah. to be gay now. Yeah. It's popular. Um, and dismissing the intensity of what these kids see and hear that's just ugly or dishonest about them all the time when you're growing up and you're hearing politicians in charge of your state refer to you as yeah. a pedophile yeah. or a groomer or yeah. disgusting. I don't, I don't think when I was a kid, nobody talked about it. It was just kind of invisible, which had to have been hard for the queer kids, but it wasn't, it wasn't as yeah. hostile as it seems. Yeah. Like you said. So we have an 18 year old lesbian tells her parents, uh, you can never fully understand what it's like. No matter how many questions and discussions, we will always have unique struggles that you can't get. And that's okay. We want your love and your support. We don't need you to fix us or solve all of our problems. Uh, I don't know how to translate that or interpret that. It was so beautifully said. That was really beautiful. She did a good job. Articulated. Yes. I mean, I think this is this is so exactly right. And I don't even know that this is just like a, a parent kid dynamic this is just a human human dynamic right we we want to be able to understand other people uh and when it comes down to it we're never going to be able to fully understand another's perspective because we've never lived their entire life and been them right and that is okay exactly as she said it's that's okay um you know the the power of empathy empathy doesn't mean that we have to understand what it's like to be in someone else's shoes empathy just means that we have to understand what some of their emotions might be. So we can all tap in to uh, feeling scared. We can all tap into the emotion of feeling rejected. We can all tap into the emotion of feeling uh, othered in some way, right? Maybe, maybe that's not in terms of sexuality or gender, but maybe that's in terms of like, you walk into a room and you're the only person of your gender. So if you're a woman, you walk into a room just of men. Uh, that can be an intimidating experience or a man walking into a room just of women or, uh, you know, I mean, really any any experience of being, feeling like you are outside the norm and feeling alone in that, we can all kind of tap into what that might feel like. That's the important thing that we understand, that we can understand the emotional experience of another person, not that we have to understand all of the details of it. I wish I knew how to get back in contact with these kids because I would be like, hey, that was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have another 18-year-old who offered this insight to parents. I wish my past self and my previous labels I've gone through weren't considered taboo to talk about. Like, if you want to talk about memories from before I started transitioning or different labels I've cycled through, you don't have to walk on eggshells around me. If you make a mistake or get confused or don't know how to talk about something, I'm not going to bite you. It's okay. I think some kids might feel the opposite. <laughs> <of this. laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is a good one. And I think I, I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, it's it's so person to person. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with how validated they have been in their experiences. If 
if someone has been told over and over again that they're delusional or wrong or it's just a phase or something like if they if their experience has been invalidated um they might be less um open to hearing about experiences from before they identified a certain way um but maybe not it depends on the person but i think one of the things that we can do is we can check in with the individual right you know your kids and so uh, or if you feel like you don't know your kids as well as you want to, then there's it's never too late. Like literally, it is never too late uh, to try to build a stronger relationship with your kids. And if you feel like you really want to understand why they feel a certain way about something, like if um, you want to be able to talk about experiences from their childhood and and don't know what they're going to feel comfortable with, talk to them about it. They'll probably have some really great insights about what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And believe them when they say it. I think that's a big thing that as parents, we can sometimes forget is that um, we can believe our kids when they talk about their experiences because they're, you know, whether or not it's uh, a logical and rational experience, it's an experience that feels very real to them and go with it. That's, you know, it, that's that's just for anyone. Like if we hear someone talk about something that's like, you know, the emotions are real. I think these kids are so smart. I'm just astonished with every comment. But this is a 17-year-old transgender male who says, I wish they understood how hard it is to live in a world where everyone knows and is constantly thinking about your gender. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, this is, um, this is an interesting one because I think... As trans people, we are very aware of our of our gender, and we are very aware that it is outside the norm. And I think for most people who are cisgender, they don't think. Uh, in this, you know, I'm not cisgendered, so I can't speak to the experience of being cis. But <laughs> most most of the cis people that I know and have talked to don't really think a whole lot about their gender until they learn about or talk to someone who is trans and then they start to reflect on their own gender identity a little bit in a, in a different way right and but even then it's not something that's like constantly present on their minds whereas when you walk through the world as a trans person uh you are very aware of your gender basically at all times and this is interesting because gender gender permeates like basically every aspect of human interactions it permeates how we talk to other people, the kinds of relationships that we build, the ways in which people feel comfortable talking to us. It connects to how people perceive us as someone that they may or may not be attracted to because of sexuality and how that's kind of um, how we how we judge our sexuality based on the perception that we have about another person's gender. It just touches everything. And so when you have the experience of being someone who doesn't fit into the uh, cisgender binary world, if you step outside of that, you're very aware of how you fit within all of those structures. And especially if you're someone who doesn't pass 100% of the time, which most teens don't, uh, then 
you're also probably very aware that people are going to be looking at you and also thinking about your gender and how you fit into all of those different societal boxes. Um, because we do, whether we think about it or not. I even, I remember learning about this years back that before, like when we, when we first uh, are like walking up to another person, before we register, like in our brains, before we register their age, before we register their race, before we register their, um, uh, you know, class, we, we always have assumptions about another person. But before we register any of those things, our first perception is gender. I don't think that that's even, um, yeah, I don't think that we realize that until we until we are looking, unless we are trans, basically. I noticed that like even online, somebody will post a picture. I've been friends with them for five years and had fantastic conversations with them and they'll post a picture and I'll be like, I didn't realize you were a girl or I didn't realize you were a guy. Um, And, and it absolutely Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. And I don't care, but there is like, even in this invisible space, somehow subconsciously I have created this identity or picture of them that includes gender and how much more real that must be in real life. Um, And I wonder if that feeling of like everyone's thinking about gender is just going to get more intense as the laws, like the bathroom bills and stuff. I think, how do you even enter a bathroom if you're constantly worried people are looking out for you? And before you could kind of, I don't know, it seems like you could not, really even notice that trans people existed and now you're hunting for them legally these poor kids all right so this is an asexual 15 year old who had this to say i deal with so much judgment at school all day and it's hard sometimes i just need space to be by myself and breathe when i get home yeah uh yeah, this is this is a good one because I think that um, it's maybe it's I don't know. I think it can be hard for us to when we're adults to think back to the experience of being a teenager in a high school and the the intensity of it. It is so intense. High school is such an intense environment, especially if you fit that side of the norm and for I think especially for people who identify as ace or asexual or aromantic or, or a label that is even less common than trans or queer or something like that. Like the, 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 le- the less common, the identity, the more alone they are likely to feel uh, and not just in their lived experience day to day, but also probably based on how other kids are treating them. Uh, because there is nothing quite like being different when you're in high school. Uh, kids will target that and they will say stuff. I don't know about all day long, kind of depends on the high school. <laughs> Some high schools probably all day long. Some <laughs> high schools, it's probably just occasionally. But in, the, in any case, it's, uh, it's, it's very likely that your teen needs space to decompress because the pressure of just trying to survive day to day as a teen in high school, even if you don't identify as something outside of the norm, um, is intense. But if you do, then it can be really hard to feel like you can just be yourself. And I think for a lot of kids, if they have a supportive home, uh, to be able to come home and just feel like they're finally free 
of the pressure of needing to conform or having to defend their right to exist as someone who identifies as something different. It is huge to be able to just come home and feel safe uh, because it can sometimes, as as an LGBTQIA plus uh, kid, feel like it is you against the rest of the school and uh, to be able to come home to your safe bedroom or wherever that is, uh, your safe space at home, and just to have that, the the comfort of that safety is, um, yeah, I think the significance of that can't be downplayed. Um, my kid could have written that one, except that my kid's not 15 and asexual. Um, but for the moms out there who miss your kids all day long and are super excited to talk to them, this can be hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this can be hard to respect that. Uh, but not all of our kids are extroverts. Some, some, I, I read that when I was like, is that my kid? No. Okay. <laughs> that was not. All right. We have a 17-year-old non-binary lesbian who says, it's easier to come out or explain different parts of your identity on your own time. Even if your parents find out and are supportive, it can be scary and uncomfortable to bring it up before the kid is ready. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, It's so true. I think kids want to feel in control of, not kids, anyone. I I don't know anyone who doesn't want to feel in control of being able to share who they are with the people in their lives on their own terms. And um, I think the thing that can be really hard is that even, even when parents are really supportive and really, you know, just want to tell their kids how, how much they love them and want to show up for them, uh, it can be really easy to um, maybe overlook the experience of um, how, yeah, just how scary it can be to, um, to come out. Coming out is really, it can be really terrifying because there's always the what ifs. I can't tell you how many teens I've talked to who are like, I'm pretty sure my parents would be supportive, but what if they're not, you know? Or I don't think that my parents are going to accept me when I tell them. But what if they don't just like not accept me, but what if they kick me out? Um, what if what if I'm like facing homelessness if I come out to them? And the terror that <laughs> that they, that kids have to sit in with that, especially I think especially if they're if if your kids are under 18 um, and or and or are still living with you are still dependent on you, then the fear of the loss of your support brings up the fear of the loss of uh, their safety and security um, to stay alive, right? It is, it is, a, it is not a, it's sadly not um, uncommon for kids to come out and be kicked out of their homes rates of homelessness for LGBTQ teens is exponentially higher than it is for straight kids. Um, and so there is, there is a real, and, and just rates of people coming out and, and risking the, the, the loss of um, social support from their parents uh, or, or parents saying, 
we love you, but we can't accept this part of you. Um, that, that alone is terrifying because who wants to hear that love is conditional, you know, that the parents love for them is conditional. No one wants to hear that, right? Like you'd be fine. We would love you more if you just weren't gay or if you weren't trans, right? Uh, but that's not an uncommon thing within the LGBTQ community. And so it's, even if you fully support and can't wait to tell your kids how much you love them and want to show up for them, letting them kind of do that um, on their own terms, um, it, it can be really important. And I guess if you're, you know, for, for parents who are kind of like, well, okay, then what do I do? <laughs> how, how can I tell my kids that I, that I, because right. I don't want my kid to sit right, in my right, fear right, any longer. Right. Right. So, you know, maybe something that, that could be done is instead yeah. of like directly going to your kids and being like, hey, I heard that you're X, Y, or Z, right? Uh, I was reading on your <laughs> or, phone. Or I was reading on your phone, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Instead of, instead of kind of calling out their identity, planting little, um, you know, like, hey, I just heard about this. Uh, this trans teen who um, was doing this cool thing. Isn't that cool? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Something like that that kind of like indicates a level mm -hmm. of support for LGBTQ people in general will significantly decrease uh, that fear. And so if you, if you suspect that your kid might be somewhere in the LGBTQ community, but they haven't come out to you yet, Maybe just try planting some uh, little messages of support about the community in general or your beliefs around uh, LGBTQ folks um, and just see if they bring it up. Yeah, I would. It, is, some, is some of that fear like um, if my mom figured it out, like maybe she's okay and we had a okay talk, but maybe everybody's figured it out and not everybody's safe. Like maybe I'm not as sneaky and stuff. Like, is that like, is the fear bigger than just addressing it with your own specific kid? Mm. Do you mean like, would, would that kid be thinking like, does everyone know that I'm yeah. queer? Uh, yeah, perhaps. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be, and it could be that they're, yeah, I mean, if if they haven't come out to anyone, then they might be thinking, or if they're just in the process of starting to come out to themselves, right? Because uh, sometimes there's the you know the the period of time in which they're starting to like question their own identity and figure out what that means for themselves before they've even told anyone, um, and. Yeah. And so there could be much bigger fears. I think you're right. I think there can be much bigger fears around, well, even if my parents love and support me, what if, what if coming out means that I'm going to get bullied at school every day when I go, or what if it means that my grandparents won't love me anymore? Uh, you know, there, there could be bigger fears just outside of the parent child relationship that are making it still kind of feel unsafe for them. I think, I think still kind of going back to that idea of like planting seeds about, uh, you know, that, that indicate your support for the community goes a long way. Um, this is an 18 year old non-binary person. And they said, it's scary to live anywhere in a Republican led state. 
I know you think it's fine because our area is super gay, but the legislature can impact my life even inside my little safe town. Absolutely. Yes, this is a huge one right now. And I would even go so far as to say, even in blue states, there is still a big fear um, because of the way that the politics have been going and how rapidly laws are changing, especially against trans people. There's a real fear uh, that, you know, the 2024 election, uh, you know, all that it would be, all that it would take would be one non-supportive candidate getting elected uh, to make sweeping laws that impact every single uh, trans, non-binary, or even queer person in the entire country, regardless of which state they live in, regardless of how supportive the town is that they live in and there can be like you know there's there's something that's really nice about living in a an area where there are a lot of lgbtq folks um it it feels nice to be able to kind of like go about your day-to-day life without fear of um dirty looks or physical violence uh out in the streets as much right as there might as a, you might be facing if you lived in a more conservative area but that doesn't mean that the fear of uh the laws is not there right where we have there's different levels of uh fear there's the you know fear of loss of relationships fear of physical safety fear of being able to do the things that you want to do with your life, whether that is uh, marry the person that you want or uh, change your body to fit the way that you identify um, or use the bathrooms that feel right to you. When you, you know, when, if you live in an, if you live anywhere in this country right now, it's an unstable feeling. Uh, Even if you live in a really progressive state because right now nothing feels certain. I can hear in my mind um, parents thinking that they're comforting a child who feels afraid by being like, it's okay, don't worry, relax, right? Trying to help them. We live in this super cushy area, very very queer, um, but leaving, kind of leaving that kid to hold that on their own. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, what, what people are needing when they express those fears, they don't need reassurance. They need, uh, they need empathy. They need someone to say, you're right. It is a scary time. And it's, you know, it's, I wish that it weren't this way. I wish we weren't all facing these fears, but we're going to face it together. Yeah. I liked that you acknowledged so rapidly how, how real that fear is. I appreciate that. Probably they're not going to listen to this, but I want to thank all of the teens who contributed. I appreciate their vulnerability and wisdom. I'm sure there's some level of anxiety even answering these anonymous questions for us. So I want to thank them for being bold and brave and trying to help us out a little bit. And of course, uh, thank you, Cole, for helping us a little bit better understand these crazy kids that we're trying to raise. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us here in the den. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and take a minute to leave a positive rating or review wherever you listen. Good reviews make us more visible and help us reach more folks who could benefit from listening. And if you'd like to help Mama Dragons in our mission to support, educate, and empower the parents of LGBTQ children, please donate at mamadragons.org or click the donate link in the show notes. For more information on Mama Dragons and the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit our website at mamadragons.org.